we are uh, drawing towards a conclusion of uh, talking about how we interact, how we treat one another, looking at some passages um, mostly throughout Paul's writings as he addresses uh, churches and how they practically need to, to live and engage uh, with one another. And so over the last couple of weeks, um, we've talked about bearing one another's burdens, that is kind of coming under and supporting one another. We talked about bearing with one another when we have differences of opinion, when people make mistakes, when people put uh, wrong times in the um, news, uh, weekly announcements and in the bulletin um, in particular. Thank you. And uh, last week, we talked about encouraging one another. This week, we're going to talk about meeting with one another. Um, there's this, this passage through Hebrews, and Hebrews is really uh, packed with uh, a lot of dense theology, um, a lot of references and connection back to Old Testament practices of worship, and how that was um, changing, uh, or how they saw Jesus kind of fulfilling uh, what had been expected of the priesthood, of the sacrificial system that was in the temple, and how um, followers of Jesus were kind of adapting and moving forward. Next week, like I said, we have uh, an opportunity to kind of put all this together and practice it with one another as we gather for love, feast, and communion. And so I'll invite you and encourage you uh, to be there next week. As we look at this passage from Hebrews, and in particular, uh, towards the end of that passage, it talked about not giving up meeting with one another. And so that's going to be kind of the focus of what we're looking at this morning. As we look at that, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The importance of meeting together is really kind of woven um, all throughout uh, the New Testament, whether that is in looking at Jesus' ministry and how He conducts His ministry. Sometimes if you're reading through um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, take particular notice to how often Jesus is going to, sitting down, or leaving a meal. Um, he, he's often uh, surrounding himself with people. He, he's sitting down. He's meeting with them. When Jesus uh, ascends back uh, to, to be with uh, God, uh, one of the things that is noted that right at the beginning of the church in Acts is the way they are meeting together, right? And throughout um, Paul's writings throughout the epistles, it's about how do we act, how do we love, how do we worship, how do we uh, live life together, how do we meet with one another. We talked in the last couple of weeks um, some of the ways when these uh, groups of followers of Jesus were coming together, whether they were from a, a Jewish background or a pagan Gentile background, they were learning what it meant to live life together, to meet together when they had all of these differences. And so they were learning to uh, bear one another's burdens, bear with one another, encourage one another. That was all a part of their meeting together. But meeting with one another was central to their life. 
along with meeting then, uh, as we talked about Jesus' ministry, along with meeting comes eating. And, and there's lots of brethren jokes to insert here about how much we love to eat. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, over the years, if you've ever been in a church that's not brethren, somehow magically eating is a part of their life too. And, and you know, everybody think, then that group thinks it's a Presbyterian thing or a Baptist thing. It's, it's a follower of Jesus thing, right? Like it's, it's there all throughout Jesus' ministry. Eating together is important. Yes, uh, brethren were one of the first groups to include some kind of food prep area in their houses of worship. They needed a place as they started to get bigger when they couldn't meet in people's individual homes anymore and they started to construct meeting houses. They often had some kind of kitchen facility there. They needed it to make their love feast soup um, because that's the, what Jesus would have done. He would have eaten the, the beef and bread soup. I'm joking, I'm joking. But eating had a central place within the meeting with one another. They gathered and they ate. So it makes me wonder, what are some of the most special meals you've shared with others? And you can just shout them out. Special meals you've shared with others that stick out in your mind over the years. Christmas, like Christmas dinners. Thanksgiving, I heard that a couple times. Pork and sauerkraut. <laughs> Birthday dinners. All right, family picnics. I say, pig stomach. Someone said pig stomach. I'll trust that that, that was a, a meal? All right. We'll bear with those that find, no. Um, I was trying to think of a couple of meals that stand out in my mind from my own life. Um, one of those, maybe especially because we were part of a wedding celebration yesterday, was our own wedding meal and, and just the time spent and shared with family and friends in that celebration. Um, that's a, a meal that will continue to, to stick out in, in my mind. For me, it was uh, just wonderful to be surrounded by those folks um, especially over the years as some of those folks are no longer with us. You especially remember uh, those meals with um, those shared relationships that maybe you don't get to enjoy anymore. Um, another meal that kind of stands out in my mind, and I don't really remember a whole lot about the, the meal. Um, we had some really close friends that, were, uh, that are our age, and uh, when we were... Uh, young married couples, we'd often do things together and have fun and, you know, we'd go out to, to things and we didn't have responsibilities really the next day. So it, it was fun just to be out late and not worry about getting kids to bed and everything. And then that started to change and uh, this other couple, they were getting ready to have uh, their first child. And uh, so we had a, a meal together and we got together and both of us talked about we it had come to our attention that this was our last supper together uh, before we <laughs> had children. We've shared meals since then, but you know that it changes things. Not better, not worse. You know what I mean. It changes things. Yeah. 
Um, I also think of, you know, some of the, you guys named holidays or, or birthdays, but those family meals with extended family have become important moments in connection because that's often when we get to see some of those people that we don't see uh, very often, and we get together and we share a meal together, and um, something about sitting down and eating with one another um, it just kind of helps the conversation to flow about uh, life and all kinds of things that you're dealing with. So lots of meals shared. Well, here in this passage from Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews is, is unknown or debated, um, but it bears the marks of sharing theology with Paul, possibly a student of Paul or an associate of Paul's. We know that it's written somewhere between 60 A.D. and 90 A.D., and this is kind of as the Christian movement is beginning to grow, is beginning to spread. But we also know that historically it had faced severe opposition in Jerusalem, and it had been kind of uh, kicked out from the temple system. Followers of Jesus were beginning to be no longer um, welcome around the temple system. And then in 70, uh, Jerusalem had been besieged by Roman legions and the temple destroyed. And then there's a series of persecutions ordered by Roman emperors under especially Nero and Domitian. But, but what's starting to happen as, this, as Hebrews is being written is the church is starting to suffer persecutions. They're starting to deal with some really hard times. And there become more and more reasons as they are kind of suffering some of these persecutions for them to um, kind of wander from the faith, to not... Uh, remain true to uh, their, their commitment to follow Jesus, um, and there become more and more reasons for them to not gather. And so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them in the, in the midst of building up their faith, building up their theology and what they think about God, is also stressing the importance of their continued meeting with one another. So we know the audience had suffered some type of persecution, was, was, was dealing with some things, um, particularly in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 34, kind of names that something is happening in their midst. But in this passage from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 25, and I encourage you to, to flip there in your own Bibles or your own app, Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 11 through 25. We see here in this passage that Jesus stands over and above kind of the old temple priesthood. Jesus is doing something that the priests could not do. They could not come in and offer a once and done sacrifice that covered everyone. Right? This was a, a practice that needed to be continually repeated over and over and over again. I mean, when they constructed the temple, they had this elaborate kind of sewer system to deal with all of the blood from these sacrifices, um, pig stomachs excluded, as not kosher. Um, but, you know, um, rams, sheep, bulls. Uh, you know, goats, uh, doves, you know, all kinds of stuff. And these sacrifices had to be um, repeated over and over and over again. 
But the writer of Hebrews stresses that Jesus' one-time sacrifice has accounted for all sin. Jesus has made a way for all to enter into the, the holy of holies or to come into close relationship with God. Uh, the writer talks about how we can come with confidence before the throne, um, which is really important because um, in, in the, the priesthood, right, the, the high priest only came into the Holy of Holies, only came, you know, really close to God once a year. And they came with bells attached to their garments so that everyone could hear the bells going on and knew that the high priest was performing the duties. And if we stop hearing the bells, we know something's gone wrong, namely the priest is dead because he's done something incorrectly, he's brought some kind of um, sin or brokenness into this holy place, and we no longer hear the bells going, and so we have to pull him out by the rope that we've tied to him. And so coming into the Holy of Holies, coming into close connection with God was, um, you know, a little bit of a nerve-wracking thing. Something that only one person did once a year and, you know, there were contingencies in place in case they messed up. But the writer of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus has changed things. Jesus has paid the sacrifice once and for all and now we all can come into the presence of God. We all can draw near and we don't have to worry about dropping over dead. We don't have to worry about the bells. We don't have to worry about the rope around our waist anymore. Because of what Jesus has done, we can draw near to God. And so the writer says, let us hold fast, hold firm. Let us remember our faith and, and, and just find incredible strength in that. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Remember those that were dealing with persecution? It's hard to continue to meet together sometimes if you're not committed, if you're not sure of what Jesus is doing in your midst. Right When those persecutions happened in the early church, it kind of weeded people out. Those that were sure about their faith continued to meet. Those that were, you know, a little bit on the edge. Man, when, when my life is in jeopardy, when my, um, when my career, when my livelihood is in jeopardy, some weren't so sure they wanted to continue to meet there. Not, to, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so the author of Hebrews calls these Christians to hold fast, hold firm to their faith with confidence. And there's an element of individuals holding fast and holding firm to their faith. That, that we have to, we're all called to count the cost, to, to realize that to follow Jesus means that we may need to leave things behind in order to follow Jesus. In order for Jesus to be Lord of our life, that means that we're not Lord. It means that others aren't Lord. It means that, you know, pursuit of uh, wealth is not Lord. It means pursuit of um, power is not Lord. Uh, pursuit of prestige is not Lord.
And so there's this element of individuals holding fast to the faith. But also in my own life, I've experienced the importance of the community holding fast and holding firm when my own grasp weakens. What I mean is sometimes we go through stuff and we ask a lot of questions. And be honest, you ask a lot, I ask a lot of questions about God and where God's at, where Jesus is at. Why is a good God, all-powerful God, allow these things to happen to them, to me, to someone else? And it's okay to ask those hard questions. I actually think it's important at times to ask those hard questions. It's also important to know that there is a family of faith holding firm, bearing under you, bearing with you, holding you through those times when you really kind of want to let go. It's kind of become um, um, a popular thing in, in our culture to um, deconstruct. That's kind of one of the, the catchwords, deconstruct our faith. And, and I went through a, a phase of deconstruction in my own faith. You know, I, I went to, to college, and this is where it happened for me. And, and just asking questions about why do I believe what I believe? Um, do I believe the same thing that my parents do or my Sunday school teacher did? And, and I had to refine some of those ideas and thoughts for myself, for, for me to really grab a hold of the faith for myself, but it was important to have a community of people around that said, it's okay to ask those questions and we're going to wrestle with those questions together. So there's an element here of the community holding firm when maybe as individuals we aren't so sure. Sometimes the faith of the community, the habit of worship, or the familiarity of liturgy keeps us connected when we don't have a resolved firmness to faith on our own. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Then the writer says, let us... Uh, consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's a really interesting word to me, provoke. And I wanted to see where else does this word get used in Scripture, that we provoke one another towards something good. And this word is only used one other time, and it's not in a positive context. Paul and Barnabas are, are having this conflict about where they should be going, how they should be doing ministry, and this provokes a disagreement, and they go their own ways. And so it's really interesting to me that uh, the writer of Hebrews says we should provoke one another uh, to these good deeds. I'm not exactly sure what that means. i got to be honest with you, um, because provoke to me, I mean, I see a lot of provoking uh, in my own house. Um, Sometimes it's one brother to the other. I'll be honest, sometimes it's the father to the sons. Um, And never once have I thought, man, this is a really good thing uh, (laughs) to provoke. So it's an interesting thought that we provoke one another to love and good deeds. I don't know if that's like challenging one another 
trying to um, in some way outdo one another in the, in the way we uh, do good deeds? I, I, I'm not so sure um, what that word exactly means, but um, I think it's about prompting one another. It's about encouraging one another. And then he says that we should meet together. And this, uh, the, the root for meet is the same word as synagogue. It's, it's the gathering together in one place. He says we should synagogue together. We should meet with one another for worship. Digital technology and virtual meetings have kind of sometimes blurred some of those lines. And listen, I'm grateful for digital media that can help connect us uh, to resources or groups of friends that we might not be able to otherwise see in person, whether that's friends or family you have in in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, it's good to be able to to see their faces. I'm really glad that we've been able to have, um, you know, the streaming for those that that, uh, can't get out here on a Sunday morning for, you know, numerous reasons. I'm glad that they can have that opportunity to to maybe sit and and reflect and and learn and grow. And and so I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that Spring Creek has been able to have a way of teaching and connecting and and meeting through uh, the pandemic, but but also with with shut-ins or those on vacation, um, those that just for whatever reason might not be able to make it here on a Sunday morning, or others who want to participate in some way from a distance. But, it, but it's also within us as humans to connect relationally, meeting together in a place at a time. I think it reveals something of the importance of the incarnation, that God takes on flesh and comes in and dwells with us. Eugene Peterson translated it as, move into the neighborhood. It's important that God doesn't just send a text message or make a phone call, but it's important for us to remember that God dwelled physically with us, with humanity. And so our gathering together is something critical to our lives as followers of Jesus. And the author says also encouraging one another. It's the the same word and idea that we talked about last week, um, how we encourage one another. He says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is talking about the day of Christ's return. And one writer puts it this way, Christ-centered worship is definitively historical. That means it took place in in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is, here's a big word, eschatological in orientation. That means it simultaneously reflects upon the revelation of God in the life and ministry of the earthly Jesus. That's what historical means. And it anticipates the consummation of all things. It anticipates God um, bringing the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to bear. That's what the consummation of all things 
And eschatology is a way of fancy way of theologians talking about uh, the end of everything. So our worship reflects on the historical reality of Jesus coming, living, teaching, dying, being resurrected, ascending. Our worship reflects on that. But it also anticipates that there is more to come. It anticipates that God is continuing to work in our lives and someday we'll be all in all. The dual focus is evident in much of the worship material preserved in the New Testament writings, including hymns and the liturgy that we find in the New Testament. Made me wonder a little bit what all was included in the uh, early Christian gatherings of worship. What did they do? Well, the first thing they did, and this is noted in, in, in all of the passages in, in Acts that we see that kind of describe their worship, it's noted in um, early 1st and 2nd century descriptions of what happened when Christians got together. What did they do? They ate together. It's not a brethren thing. It's a follower of Jesus thing. They shared a, a Eucharist or communion. Over the years, brethren chose to adapt this because they were afraid that communion was being done out of habit and, and not recognizing the sacredness of the act. This is why we... we typically only have communion uh, at love feast and communion and maybe uh, two other times of the year. So that's uh, something that was adapted. They also, part of their worship was confession, acknowledging that not all is right in our lives. We didn't all get it right this week. We messed up. Not everything about the way we went about our week looked like Jesus. And so it was confession and thanksgiving. It was acknowledging that Christ's one-time sacrifice has covered our sin. That God is loving and gracious and forgiving and not holding that over our heads. The early church seems to uh, uh, adapted their, their prayers, their songs, um, the the reciting that they did in their worship from the synagogue system, from, from the Jewish system that they were leaving. Um, the, the synagogue was a system that developed while the Jews were in exile. When they didn't have access to the temple, they needed to find other ways of meeting and teaching and reading Scripture. And so in the synagogue system, their meeting often revolved around uh, reading passages of the Old Testament and then the rabbi or, or a scribe kind of teaching on what that passage was about. And so early Christian worship kind of took that and modeled their worship off of that. It was different than the worship that happened in the temple, which revolved around sacrifices. That's really uh, part of what the writer of Hebrews is doing, is saying our worship is different than what was happening in the temple because Jesus has taken care of that. Jesus has paid the sacrifice, and so our worship doesn't have to be nearly as bloody as what um, was happening in the temple. Their worship time mainly oriented around prayer and teaching. They sang hymns. 
doxologies, they recited prayers, they recited confessional statements, and we have some examples of that in the New Testament. They had prayer, singing, teaching, preaching. They collected offerings for one another. There was public reading of Scripture. Of course, their public reading of Scripture would have been uh, Old Testament passages. And they slowly began to read Paul's letters or, or telling the story of Jesus alongside reading those Old Testament passages. In one of the, the early uh, Christian descriptions, it comes out of a book called the Didache, um, early discipleship manual that laid out some standards for worship and communion, and the Lord's Prayer was a part of that, the way they, they went about communion. It gave a, a description for how they should go about uh, baptism. Um, it was definitely three times forward. It, it talks about three times in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not sure that it was necessarily forward. I, I... There's also a description from uh, a man named Justin Martyr who wrote in, in the first century or uh, early second century. And here's his description of their meetings. He said, on the day called Sunday, which remember was a change uh, for the, the Jewish folks as they, they started to differentiate themselves from the Jewish faith, the Jewish day of worship would have been Saturday. And then here he's talking about meeting on Sunday. He says, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. They didn't have a football game to get to. Uh, they didn't have, you know, uh, reservations waiting for them following the pastor's long-winded sermon. So they read as long as time permits. Then when the reader had ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So there's an application. Now that we've read this scripture, what does it mean for our lives? Then we all rise together and pray. And when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability. And the people assent, saying, Amen. And there is a distribution to each and a participation of that over which thanks has been given. Talking about communion. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president who succors the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. So they're taking care of one another financially. And those who are in bonds and strangers sojourning among us, and in a word, takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we hold, all hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day, rose from the dead. Another thing that we see in early Christian worship was that different gatherings included different expressions of spiritual gifts. Paul talks about um, words of prophecy, words in tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, different things that were a part of their worship. Um, we see laying on of hands, anointing, baptism, the kiss of peace, all of these things were a part of their early worship. 
But it's some, something that was really important, and I want you to hear this. Worship wasn't about the procedure being followed. It wasn't about the routine and, and, you know, did we say this word right and did we say that word right? But it stressed the heart of the worshiper and the worshiping community. Are we aligning ourselves with Jesus? Because all of the words that we say, all of the... the um, the statements that we uh, recite together, all the times that we say the Lord's Prayer together, that's important because it reminds us who we are. It ingrains God's Word in us. It reminds us of our shared faith. It reminds us of our shared theology. But if it doesn't do something in our hearts, it doesn't mean anything. So when we meet together, it's supposed to change us. Just a couple of highlights, some insights from these descriptions of worship. Breaking bread is always mentioned. It's always mentioned. Probably talking about communion and shared meals. So I wonder, just a a question for you to ponder, is it worship if we don't eat together? Or if we eat together, is that worship? Is it worship if we don't eat together? And if we eat together, is that worship? You can text me, email me, visit me, call me with your your responses, your thoughts on that. Another insight is that liturgy played a role. Reminding the church of what they believed and ingraining it in the minds of the church. Think of all the times that we, we want our kids to learn memory verses. The early church would uh, confess creeds together. I know we've got a thing about creeds in the, in the Church of the Brethren. But they would uh, have these summary statements of their faith that they recited over and over and over again. And they said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. Because they didn't have Bibles to pick up during the week. And so this is the way that they reminded one another and and just implanted it deep in their minds and their hearts. This is our story. This is what Jesus has done in our midst. There was also an element of variability to their worship. It wasn't the same thing every week. Expressions of spiritual gifts, laying on a hands, anointing. I imagine the meals changed from week to week. But I want to go back for a moment to why I think the gathered meeting was central to the early church and why it remains a necessity for Christ followers today. Go very back to the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis. Humanity is created in the image of God. That is, we as individuals and also collectively as the human people reflect something of the nature of God. We are created in the image of God. And yes, it's blurred by sin, it's imperfect, but something is reflected in each of our lives and in our life together of the nature of God. 
And of course, you and I are also Trinitarian believers, that we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit, that God is relational at God's core. If God is love, then there must be some relational dynamic to God's very essence. And so Father, Son, and Spirit relate to one another. They cooperate. They send one another. They love one another. And this relational dynamic is reflected in the image bearers. It was not good for man to be alone. Yesterday at Alex and Elena's wedding, I I read the passage from Ecclesiastes that two are better than one. That's not just about marriage, but something of the human condition that we are meant to be in relationship with one another. We are created for relationship. So, in the last couple of years, we've experienced shutdowns and shelters in place, and that may have been necessary for a short time for public physical health and uh, not to overwhelm systems. Uh, I actually found it interesting. Um, Luke Haldeman was going through some old minutes. Do you know this was not the first time that Spring Creek had some kind of temporary shutdown due to uh, a public health episode? Uh, In the 40s, they suspended some of their ministry events because of polio quarantines. Uh, And so he was going through old minutes, and it was fascinating. Uh, This was not the first time uh, that we had some kind of temporary shutdown. But it remains that we are image bearers meant to share relationship with others. It's not perfect. But when we are separated from too long, and I I don't mean this as a statement of um, political feeling on the pandemic shutdowns, anything else like that. But to be separated from one another is inhuman. We're meant to be in relationship with one another. We're meant to be connected. We're meant to meet with one another. From the very beginning, it was not good for one person to be alone. And so we... Bear one another's burdens. We bear with one another when we disagree. We encourage one another and we meet with one another. Because God does not stay quarantined from humanity, but instead the Son is sent to dwell with us in the flesh. And then the Spirit is sent as the comforter, as the helper, and the encourager. And so you and I as image bearers, It's a hazy reflection sometimes, but we are meant to be in relationship with the triune God and with one another. And look, the day of the Lord that they talk about in this passage, when the kingdom arrives in its fullness, is always a day closer. That's not trying to name this date or that date of Christ's return. That's just how time works. We're always closer to that day coming. But also, we face different challenges in which we need the community of faith to meet with. We can't do this life alone. 
and we face challenges in a, in a post-Christian society that are different than they were when we thought we lived in a Christian society. And so we face those challenges and we need to continue to meet with one another, to encourage one another. So let us continue meeting together, eating together, growing, sharing, serving together, connected by Jesus. Let us bear one another's burdens. Let us bear with one another when we diverge on opinions. And let us encourage one another as we follow Jesus together. This morning we are going to uh, respond by singing... God be with you. It's in the brown hymnal number 232. And uh, in the hymnal, let me just give you some words of instruction here. There's two verses, and there's a, there's a missing chorus that most of you know, maybe not all of us, but most of you know the chorus. It's not in either of our hymnals, but after we sing these two verses, we are going to sing the chorus that many of us know. And if you don't know it, uh, you'll get to know it. Maybe. All right? So I'll ask you to to stand as we close in this hymn.